Well, Church, thank you so much for, uh, for having me. Uh, I am a fellow Brooklynite. Uh, in 2024, it'll be uh, 50 years ago. I was born about 75 blocks that way in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn. Uh, but I, I had the pleasure of actually being here uh, last week. I sat in the back when uh, Pastor Michael was here, and he talked about the, the preschool of prayer, uh, which, which I really love because what I really wanted to talk to you guys uh, today is uh, a concept which I think uh, that we as Christians uh, just kind of always struggle with, even with knowing the truth of who God is and who we are with God. And so I wanted to talk a little bit today, uh, and the title of the message is Perception is Reality. And so when we think about perception, uh, we think about how do we view ourselves, how do we see God? And how do we see ourselves with God? And so as we kind of look at that, there's lots of things that, you know, I mentioned I'm from Bay Ridge, Brooklyn. There's lots of things that set the tone of how we view the world. It could be what neighborhood we were born in. It could be the family we grew up in. It could be our cultural background. Uh, it could be uh, what our family members think of us. It could be what we do for a living. And so uh, those things kind of paint a picture of, of really just who we are. And really, I think that when we look at ourselves, and I'm, I'm, I'm fantastic at this, we also have a perception of ourselves based on who, how we feel, right? And based on how we are doing in life. And we do a wonderful job of beating ourselves up. And we allow things like shame and condemnation to come into our lives. And it, it really taints the way that, that we view ourselves and the way that we view God. And so I wanted to talk a little bit today about uh, what are those things as we take a pause and we think about like who we are uh, and, and what we kind of view ourselves as. You know, it's funny, like I, I had to send a bio over to Chris and it's probably the first time in a while that I've done it. And I sent it to my oldest daughter, who's 21. Uh, she's a senior in college. And I was like, hey, can you just like take a look at this and whatever? And I was like, just like, you know, correct the grammar or anything you think about it. And she goes, oh, yeah, yeah, no, it looks great, it looks great. Uh, you know, you should probably tell them uh, that you used to put on a Star Wars mask and uh, scare us when we were kids. I was like, I'm like, oh. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Uh, so that was, that was her perception of me. I sent over this bio. Uh, so my day job is I've, I've worked for Microsoft, I've worked for Amazon. Uh, I do like technology, artificial intelligence and things like that. And so I was like, all right, maybe I should say that because that's my full-time job. But then I do these other things at Hope Church. Uh, I lead a group on Tuesdays and I greet people at the front door. And so, but the thing that she wanted to get out of it was that, you know, I, I scared the, the, the kids with Star Wars masks. Uh, and I was like, oh, okay. She's like, well, hey, you know, why have a normal dad when you can have a fun dad? <laughs> so, uh, and I think similarly, yeah, like I want to challenge like our view of ourselves. I want to challenge the view that we have of God because I think uh, God wants to change the perspective that we have ourselves, how worthy we feel, because we go through life and life is hard. Life has its challenges. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. And uh, these things uh, start to create a perspective that we have, right? And so like we look at the world with a certain lens based on like the things that, that we have done. Uh, 
we may look at the world and saying like, you know what, uh, this didn't work out for me, so I'm a failure, or this did work out and I'm great at it. Like we have a perspective of who we are based on like the things that we've done. And so like when I think about uh, that perspective of, you know, what did we do? How did we feel? How did people treat us? It molds our view. And I think the thing that really will reset our perspective is the Word of God. And I love how much you guys read the Word of God. And it's the Holy Spirit that's going to go and alter the way that you view yourself and view God. Because God wants you to see Him for truly who He is. And He wants you to not see yourself for the past and the things that you have done or the things that have been done to you. But He wants you to embrace the fullness of life that He has for you. Like, I love that you talked about, like, seeing the leadership inside of you. Like, God wants you to see the things that he has created for, the good works that he has created you to do. And so we're going to walk through a little bit uh, through scripture, uh, because I, I feel like sharing these scriptures, like, once uh, James goes, uh, the scriptures will remain. So uh, we, we have those, and they'll be, they'll be captured. And, and, it's, and it's this constant renewing that we have to come. It's, it's coming to church. It's hearing the word. Uh, and even just saying these things out loud, to believe it, to believe that, God, yes, you are able, and I am worthy, and you are worthy, God. And so when I think about these things, it's important because psychology has this thing, it's called uh, confirmation bias. And confirmation bias means that you see everything with the way that you view the world currently. So it's almost as if you look for certain things to happen where, you know what, I, I'm gonna, I have a negative view of life, and so I'm gonna look for the negative things. Or I believe people are gonna do wrong to me, and so I'm gonna look and see things with that perspective, based on my existing beliefs. And so, this is, and this is like, this is how we're wired, right? And that's how you know, like, we need a supernatural God to reprogram the way that we view ourselves and our existing beliefs, to change the way that we view ourselves, how God views us, and how we view God. And so we want to take that bias, and even though I love psychology, psychology is great, therapy is great, but we want God to do something with our existing beliefs about ourselves and about him this day. And so I wanted to um, read a scripture from Matthew 13, 13, and it talks about when Jesus, uh, Jesus spoke to the people in parables, and he said it's because like the people couldn't see. And so in 13, 13, it says, Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing do they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear, and shall not understand, and seeing you will see, and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes have been closed. Lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts, and turn so that I should heal them. Blessed, be, blessed are those who have seen, and your ears for they hear. Surely I say to you that many prophets and righteous men and women desire to see these things and did not see it, and hear what you hear and did not hear it. And so here we see that like God talks about like there's a, there's a way and there's a blindness that we have. And so God is in the business of taking things where maybe things that maybe you've heard before, maybe it was a scripture before about that you're a son and a daughter. Maybe it's a scripture about who God is. And I believe God's going to open our eyes and our hearts to see truly who he is this day. Another scripture in 2 Corinthians 12, it says, Therefore, since we have such a great hope, 
we use great boldness of speech, unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. But their minds were blinded, for until the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament, because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on the heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And so we see that like, throughout biblical times, and we read things about the hardness of the heart and being able to see and not perceive and to hear and not understand, it doesn't seem like this was 2,000 years ago. This could be, in, this could be exactly 2023 where like the world does an amazing job of like dulling our view and dulling our ears to see the things that God wants us to see about ourselves and about him. <clears throat> and so how does God see me? First, pre, uh, first Peter chapter two says, uh, starting with verse one, therefore lay aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and evil speaking as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, and if indeed taste that the Lord is gracious. Moving to verse nine. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his, only special, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praise of him who called you out of the darkness into this marvelous light, who once were not a people, but now are a people of God, who have not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. And so as we think about how God views us, it's not just James, Joe, Sarah, Frank, like God looks at us as a chosen generation, a royal priesthood and a holy nation. And so that starts to look at the way that we're like supposed to look at ourselves. Peter also talks about how in verse uh, one, uh, in chapter one, verse three, where that we have an abundant mercy that is begotten again to us through the resurrection of Jesus Christ to an inheritance that's incorruptible and undefiled and does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. I don't know about you guys, but I'm not gonna have any inheritance from anybody from my family. Uh, I think it'd be nice. We got like an old like 57 Buick or something interesting like that, some money. That's not gonna happen. So when you hear that you actually are gonna have an inheritance we should get excited about this, right? And so here we have the inheritance where God says that we have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, an incorruptible inheritance. That means the, the, the fact that we are sons and daughters of God is an inheritance that could never leave. There's not a sin that we can do. There's not a wrong thing we can do to somebody to change that situation. And so when we look at that, it's like, okay, Wow, God, like, you know, this is something that's not going to change based on who I am. The Bible also says that as many uh, are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons and daughters of God, who do not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption for why we, why we cry out, Abba, Father. And so when we think about who we are in life, we think about what we do for a living, we think about the habits that we have, maybe you like to run, maybe you like to walk, maybe you like coffee, we identify ourselves. God identifies us as sons and daughters. And as I try to think about the bio, as much as wearing Star Wars masks and scaring kids are kind of fun, uh, thinking about the fact that we think about what our bio is, 
is that we are sons and daughters of God. And so what does that mean? Like, would, If we were a son and a daughter and father being good, how would he want to treat a son or a daughter? What would, it, what would they want to, what would, what would God want for us? Well, God wants to heal us. God wants to restore us. God wants us to create on the inside of us a vision and a hope that we have for ourselves. Not based on what we know about ourselves, not based on our past, but with the future that God has for us. And so we have to change and lift the veil from our eyes to see ourselves as worthy, to see ourselves what God has done. But, you know, if you still aren't convinced about who God is and how you see him, uh, let's ask Jesus what he said about himself. In Matthew eleven twenty-five, 25, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for it seemed good in your sight, all things have been delivered to me by the Father, and no one knows them, knows the Son except the Father. Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, or the one to whom the Son reveals. And this is the part where Jesus talks about himself. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me, all who are labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I mean, on, on a Saturday night of a long week, I'm feeling labored, I'm feeling heavy laden. And the fact that like, this is identifying me, like there's, this is, you don't have to do anything to qualify for this. But Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And he describes himself as gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so growing up in church, I grew up Catholic. <laughs> we have our own set of issues for a while. Uh, we had to earn our way into heaven. It was really hard. Uh, and we had to do it through the priests and the nuns, uh, which was always great. And they were really nice, too. They were really kind growing up. You go to Catholic school. Yeah, they, were, they did a fantastic job. And I was like, wait, God is loving and caring? Like all these people I grew up with in church were not this way. Uh, but it paints a picture about who God is in our life, right? Either the church we went to, uh, maybe Christians we came across, what we thought God was. Maybe we thought God was like a far off. Like, no, you're up in heaven. You came down 2,000 years ago. And then you left. It's like, no, like that's, that's not here. Jesus describes himself as gentle and lowly. And what he's really saying is that he's, uh, oh, thank you. Um, what, he, what he really says is, I'm accessible. So when he says, I'm gentle, that's how he wants to deal with us. When he says, I'm lowly, it's humble and accessible. And so we have this idea that Jesus is this person who's afar off. Right. And maybe it's like we were told, like, God will punish you. Maybe like, you know, Jesus is like up in heaven and, and we want him to come down and, and visit us here in this church. Jesus is here. Jesus is always here with you in the in the mix, in the mix of life. Jesus is right where we need him to be. He's the most approachable person that we will ever know. And so somehow we try to take things we know about humans and not apply them to Jesus. Jesus wants to have the human interactions that we want to have with other humans. He wants to have intimacy with you. He wants to talk to you. He wants to get into the, the, the ugly mess that's life. Not like, you know, at the time, like, hey, like, we messed up. I did something wrong. 
I went back to doing something I shouldn't have done. Those are the moments where we're like, well, God is really far. And I would argue, Jesus, that's where he's the closest. And that's where he wants us to lean in and ask for forgiveness and for ask him to take away the shame, the hurt, and maybe the hurt that we've caused others and to restore us. And so that's the thing. It's like we have this idea, even going through, like I've gone through and I've, I've, I've volunteered at charismatic churches and whatever, but this concept that Jesus was gentle and lowly was like, oh, I feel like I read that before. And I feel like I didn't catch that part as much. But Jesus loves to get into the beautiful ugliness of life. The beautiful ugliness that we call life. And those moments where you feel terrible, those are the moments where Jesus wants to lean into the mess. Because he said that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Why was that a joy? It's because he was then able to lean into our mess and to fix and to touch the things in our life. And so he's not afar off this day. There's not a Jesus that's up here and when you go, he's gone. There's a beautiful mess of life that he wants to lean into. But we have to actually train ourselves and rethink ourselves so that we're not thinking that Jesus is afar off. We're not thinking and looking with the words and the feelings of shame of what I've done. Yeah, we messed up. I'll mess up tomorrow. When I leave here, I'm going to mess up. But do I look at the shame of my wrongdoing or do I lean into God in those moments? So whatever beautiful mess is going on in your life right now, this is the part where Jesus has, to the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. He wants to go into our hearts and our minds and change the perspective that you have of yourself and that you have of God. That God is someone who's just here on Sundays. Jesus is with you in the ugliness and beautiful mess of life. He also talks about the, the yoke of the world. He talks about taking his yoke, that it's easy. And so if we think about like, what we're going to do in our lives, and we're like, all right, you know, church isn't for me. They don't want me to do this. They don't want me to do that. Don't do this. The yoke is heavier to be out in the world than to not be here. There's a different price that you're going to pay. You think you have a sense of freedom. You think, I'm all right. I'm going to have to follow the rules. No, there's this beautiful ugly mess of life that Jesus wants to walk with you and through you. That he said that his, his yoke is easy, meaning that like the yoke of an oxen that kind of plows the field, it carries it on the back. The world has a heavy yoke, but Jesus' yoke is light. So let's think about what Jesus says about himself. In Luke chapter 4, he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted and the recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And so if you think about Jesus is gentle and accessible, but Jesus also said here that, he's, he sent, that the Father sent him to heal the brokenhearted. How many people have a broken heart? How many people either through our parents, who at times weren't great, people that we've dated, people that we've been married to. These are the things that God wants to come in and heal and to touch. He wants to proclaim liberty to the captives. And in this case, the captivity is our view of ourselves and our view of God, thinking that God is not wanting to come and to touch your life, 
to remove the burdens and the hurt and the shame that's in your life. That's where God's going to set, set liberty to the captives of, of your minds. And he wants to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. What that means is that there's jubilee. Jubilee meaning that all the things that were taken in the past will be returned and then some. And so we think about the things that either by ourselves or the enemy of our soul has taken away. Either the things we've done through not great habits or not great things. That God says here that it's the acceptable year of the Lord what God will bring back to you and bring jubilee. So let's see what else God says about himself. In Isaiah 55, it says, Seek the Lord wherever he be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the righteous man his thoughts. Let him or her return to the Lord and have he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. This is an interesting thing. I used to think this was like a flex. I thought, I thought God the Father was saying like, you know what? My ways are higher. I know better. And like you just want to understand how I operate. I'm God. But really what God is saying here is that his ways are not our ways. Meaning that he's not going to treat us the way that other human beings have treated us that maybe you wanted to depend on somebody and they weren't there. Maybe there was something in life that was traumatizing and uh, something someone did to you. Like, God is not like people. His ways are higher than our ways. He deals with us in a way that it has gentle and lowliness of heart, that he wants to come into our lives and to touch us. There's a great quote from uh, Dane Ortland. This is a book that we're doing on our group on Tuesdays. It says, uh, the quote is, perhaps Satan's greatest victory in your life today is not the sin in which you regularly indulge, but the dark thoughts of God's heart that cause you to go there in the first place and keep cool toward him in the wake of it. And so what this is really saying is that the victory that the devil has over us is to think that thing away about God that he really isn't and to be cool towards God, to think like, you know what? I did this really awful thing. I shouldn't have done it. I shouldn't go to church. I really did this awful thing. I shouldn't go to the group. This is, these are the things that the devil tries to get us to change our hearts and change our minds. And this is the easiest way for us to, to lose our victory with God is to have this perspective. So in closing, I love the, uh, the scripture in James. It talks about... James chapter 1, about being doers of the word and not hearers also, uh, talks about the man in the mirror. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man or woman observing his natural face in a mirror. For they observe himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person that he is. But he who looks into the perfect law or liberty continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer, this one will be blessed. And so... I, for whatever reason, for James, I think about Michael Jackson, Man in the Mirror as well, but equally uh, the same point. Like, who do we see ourselves in the mirror? Who do we see ourselves to be? How do we define who we are? How do we define who God is? But I think we have an opportunity today to not just be hearers of the word, but to be doers also. 
to know that we have this new perspective of God and of ourselves and what God has created us to be and to do, to know that Jesus is part, wants to be part of this beautiful mess of life, that in our sin, he isn't far away, that this is the part that he actually wants to touch and to, and to make, make well. That's the part I think that we have to push through. In the moments of doubt and sadness and anxiety, push through in those moments. Like those are the moments where you don't feel like it. It doesn't feel good. You feel the shame, you feel the hurt, you feel the sting of it. That's when we push through and just turn our heart to God's. If we just pivot our heart to God in those moments, God's grace and mercy and deliverance becomes abundantly upon us. So don't let us beat up ourselves. Don't let us take away the opportunity for us to connect with God even in our sin, even in the worst moments of our life. Let us open our heart to do that. And we can't let the views and feelings that come along make us be captive. We need to push through in the same way that when you're exercising, there's a part of resistance when you're weight training or running that you have to push through. And same spiritually, it's the same case where we have to push through in those moments where it doesn't feel, God, I don't feel you. I don't feel your love. I don't feel worthy. That is the moment where we push through. That is where we push the weight off our chest and we reach out to God just by a pivot. We don't even have to do anything wonderful in that moment. But God sees our heart open and saying, oh, my son, my daughter knows that I can touch and heal and deliver and provide. And so we have to take the negative, almost like you ever see those athletes where like they're boxers and they get like beat up or they're down by like 15 points and that's when they just kick it into high gear. That's the same spiritual principle is that when we feel the discomfort, we don't feel like we're good Christians, that's when we have to be energized by that negative energy and use it to motivate us. It's like, hey, yes, I did do that, but you know what, I'm getting back in the game. I'm going to connect with God, I'm gonna connect with my community. You have to push through. The, the best things we can do in life is being comfortable with discomfort. Because the best people who are either learning, developing their intellect, or athletes, they are so comfortable with discomfort. And the same applies for our faith, is that we have to be comfortable in the discomfort of life. Like we're sitting with that feeling, yes, my propensity to feel rejected is coming up again. All right, let's push it down. Uh, me being cynical and being negative, let's push it down. We have to same that same mentality of spiritual things in our lives, to be energized by it. And so when I think about the opportunity uh, to share today, uh, I loved how we said the things that we're happy about and the things that we're sorry about. Um, and I think in our minds, like we just wanna create like a clean slate with God. That we could start and say, God, from this day I'm going to change the way I look at myself, that I am a son and a daughter, that I'm worthy, and you wanna to minister to me and you have good things before me, no matter what I have done. You may be towards a, the latter part of life, and you could say, you know, all these years were wasted, but with God, all things are possible. Don't let those years behind us and those things that happen to us that either others have done or we have done to ourselves create the story or the bio about our lives. We can take this moment today and say, you know what, today's day one. Today is the moment where I see God differently, I see myself differently, and God has called me to do something different. And so I just ask you guys just to close your eyes and open your hearts and to, to let out 
all the all the all the shame all the condemnation that we so greatly do to ourselves the images of what others view us as the images of seeing ourselves not enough having our identity be something other than a, a son and a daughter of God in our bio 